Hello and welcome to the Lectionary Call-In Podcast. This is a ministry of Palmasia Presbyterian Church, and it's a time where pastors and lay people gather together each week to consider and reflect on the gospel lectionary reading for the coming Sunday. And our typical pattern is one that uh, has one of us serving as a facilitator of the day uh, who crafts questions and sends them to the others uh, for their advanced preparation and some reflection. And this week, I'm serving as that facilitator. So um, each week we gather together in this recording uh, to share those reflections, to be in dialogue with one another. Uh, So today it is my joy to be joined by Sarah Mickelson in Tampa. Bill Hall, St. Petersburg, Florida. And I am John Ryder, one of the pastors at Palmasia Presbyterian Church, which is in Tampa, Florida. I'm recording from Valrico, Florida. So today uh, we are going to be discussing um, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. And this is the Gospel lectionary reading for this coming Sunday, February 18th, um, which is in fact the first Sunday in Lent. So we had Transfiguration last Sunday. We've got Ash Wednesday that will happen this week and start us off on this Lenten journey. Um, But then uh, this will be for our very first Sunday in Lent. And we're kind of rewinding in Mark a little bit. We took a look at the baptism of the Lord from Mark in early January. And here we have it again in the lectionary. Uh, But the pericope is uh, shifted a little bit. And so we still get the baptism. But we also hear Mark's account of Jesus' time in the wilderness and the start of his ministry. So uh, hear now God's holy word from Mark. Again, this is Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts and the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So our first question um, uh, comes as we think about, we hear in verse one that the heavens uh, were torn open or torn apart. And uh, so, uh, what significance do you place on this description? Why do you think that the author chose the word "torn," uh, which I think oftentimes has a, a pretty violent or even negative connotation? Uh, what do you make of this use of uh, talking of the heavens being torn open or torn apart, Sarah? Well, it's interesting because right after I got your questions this week, I, I stumbled upon a poem that opens with, I did not willingly let half of my soul leave my body. It was torn from me. And it's a poem by Alpha, which is, uh, I think, a a social media poster. Um, But I thought it was interesting because it really hit the tone of the word torn in the scripture as well as the poem. And so my first thoughts center on... um, the feeling that you experience as a parent when you leave your child at school for the first time. Yeah. And it's, it's all for the good and growth of the child. So don't hear me differently than that, but the ache is profound. 
Um, it's an ache full of anxious joy and fear. It's the sense of leaving your heart in a place that you are not. And it makes me wonder if God experienced this when Jesus came um, into his earthly experience. Perhaps this feeling that is a fullness of distance and loss of closeness in the same way with a complete knowledge of what was coming. That sense of, you know, in our profound small way, we see, will will my child be bullied? Will my child find a friend? Will my child thrive in this environment? And I'm thinking about how would God feel about that? Jesus coming to earth knowing full well the burden that he's carrying. And my second thought um, was that this seems the start of the tearing or the the, the barrier rending um, of all that separates or has been contrived to separate humanity from God. The veil between heaven and earth is torn and the spirit is now moving into the world. And it might, I, I, I questioned, would, um, might this baptism represent the, the start of a new covenant? One in which the kingdom of heaven is wide open here and now. Uh, moreover, one in which we can approach God directly. So those were my two thoughts about the word torn. And I, I like the author's use of the word schism or to, to rend or to, to be divided. Um, so I think it seems appropriate. Thank you, Sarah. Bill, your thoughts? Uh, good, good question. And as I mentioned in the pre-recording, the one of the three I spent the most time on to underscore the tone of your question, I will share a brief quote from the Christian Century, February 2021 by Marianne McKibben Dana. She writes, Mark is the most blunt and unsentimental of the gospels. After Jesus' baptism, the curtain of the heavens is torn apart, not simply opened, as in Matthew and Luke. And only in Mark is the baptism followed immediately by Jesus' grueling 40-day trial in the wilderness. There are parallels to the Mark passage in Matthew and Luke, but these two narratives are divided in Matthew and Luke. Mark puts them as a whole piece of cloth. And Sarah, it's underscoring what you noted, uh, that the temple, the curtain is torn. It's the same verb uh, in Greek. Um, Now, just to walk in the weeds a bit with Greek, grammar. Let me read some of the many definitions of this verb. Uh, uh, Well, let me say this. There's another uh, way that your tone is picked up on, John, and that's in verse 12, where Matthew and Mark, Luke say, Jesus was led by the Spirit. (laughs) Mark says, the Spirit drove him now, some of the meanings of drove, to cast out, to banish, to compel, to draw with force, uh, to lead someone uh, with force which he cannot resist. So, underscoring your word violent, um, there is a, a, a powerful tone in this. Now, 
at least we can say in today's vocabulary that literarily Mark consistently uses robust language to convey his narrative. We have a number of times noted how often in the Gospel of Mark is the word immediately. So um, for me, this tearing of the heavens, I agree with Sarah, it's about breaking the barrier between the divine and the human and the, but it it also introduces a sense of urgency even for Jesus and a part of what I experience in Lent is that sense of urgency something is about to happen I need to listen I, I need to learn again um, so I'm still working on the question. But I'll leave it there for now, John. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate both your reflections on that uh, on that use of that word. It, it is a a forceful word. Um, sometimes it's uh, seen as ripped apart or torn open or torn apart. Um, I, I saw in one commentary Donald Jewell uh, has a commentary on Mark, and he points out that that which is opened can be closed, but what is torn apart cannot easily be returned to its previous state. And that to me was um, kind of striking to think about that this is um, not only violent, but it can't be easily gone back to the way it was before, right? That there's something different about what has happened. And so um, it's it's an action word that raises the stakes on the moment. It makes, kind of makes it a more of an impact, as, as you said, Bill. It's um, it's not just a little thing happening. Um, this is a big deal, right? And um, nothing will ever be the same again. Um, we've got heaven and earth being forever changed. And um, there is this juxtaposition, I think, of words being used or imagery, and and which makes it even more stand out to me in that we've got the heavens being torn apart, um, but then we've got the spirit descending like a dove on him or in him. And um, to me, that almost conveys a little bit of gentleness. But then, as as you mentioned, Bill, that same spirit then turns around and drives them out into the wilderness. And so um, we've got kind of these kind of contrasting imagery for me, which which even brings that torn apart um, forcefulness uh, to the surface um, even more. Um, but even all that, we the spirit descended on him like a dove. The spirit drives the spirit is with him through all that, and I trust that the spirit is with him then in. Uh, as we get to the end of that passage, as he begins his ministry um, and and calling folks to hear the good news. And so, um, I yeah, I agree with you, Sarah. This is a moment where divine intersects with the, with the earthly world, um, but it's capturing uh, the beginning of something, right? Um, we've had the statement claiming Jesus's identity and baptism, and then off we go, wilderness, and then we're right into the start of Jesus's ministry. And so... Um, this this new identity and call uh, to ministry for Jesus. Um, this, this is the heavens declaring it and the spirit bearing witness to it. So um, appreciate y'all's reflections uh, on this on this word and, and its significance. Our second question, uh, again, deals with some words and, and in this case, kind of a, a tense, uh, a, a voice rather. Um, so in verse 11, we hear this voice and we've had this Voice, uh, as I said uh, earlier in January with the baptism of the Lord, we got it again here. We had the voice last week at the Transfiguration, 
And here in verse 11, the voice comes from heaven saying, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. So the question is, what's significant about the use of the second person in this voice, especially when we just had uh, this voice in the third person um, used in the transfiguration story last week? That one said, this is my son. This is the beloved, my beloved. Uh, listen to him. So we had that command as well. But what's significant about um, the the use of the, the second person here? Uh, Bill, we'll start with you. Uh, here I go again with my affinity for both and. <laughs> there's the, it, you note correctly, grammatically, there's the third person and the second person. Now, I'll admit that my uh, imagination sometimes gets in overdrive and uh, that may or may not go beyond the text. But here is what your question stirred in my mind. The Trinity is a mystery. I, I had three years of seminary. I had uh, decades of studying scripture. And if you, if my life depended on it right now, I cannot logically explain the Trinity. But what we do know is it employs the language of family, father, son, spirit. And to me, John, this interchange can be heard as reflecting the intimacy of family. You are my son, and I you you are beloved to me. I something in me is stirred by that kind of intimacy. And it occurred to me, and here again I may be stretching things. It's one thing to say God is love. That's universal. To say God loves me. And God loves you is very personal. So the universal becomes a personal. And uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, February 13th. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day. <laughs> and uh, the, whether or not one is married, Valentine's Day reminds us of the core of the gospel. Chuck Jones last week in his concluding Sunday school class quoted, I didn't look it up, I think he said Matthew 13, 3, a new commandment that you love one another. And he was saying, and I agree with him, that's at the heart of the gospel, which we'll talk about in the next question. So that's where my mind went, John, that this sense of intimacy, God and God's son are addressing each other in the most intimate way possible. Very good. Thank you, Bill. Sarah, your thoughts? Um, I read the workingpreacher.org entry from February 21st, 2021. Um, Osvaldo, I'm probably saying this way wrong, Venya. And he writes, the divine voice makes an astonishing affirmation. You are my son, the beloved, with you I'm well pleased, is a composite citation from Psalm 2, verse 7, and Isaiah 42, verse 1. 
And among other passages, it comes for Jesus and the reader's benefit, not for those witnessing the event, which he then offered a comparison to Matthew 3, verse 17. Now, my thinking is these words seem directed to and privately addressing Jesus, perhaps with the added benefit of our hearing as confirmation of his identity. Um, But these words seem to be affirmation um, and a a fuel for the testing into which he's going to be thrown presently. Um, And I think sometimes when you're going through something difficult at home or at work, hearing or rehearing words of affirmation about ability and about trust um, can be those things that are supportive. And maybe that's interestingly enough, a part of the preparation that Jesus is being given to equip him for the testing that's coming. Thank you, Sarah. I I think um, I I kind of struggle with this one a little bit because I like to think, and I I like to think that it was um, in my imagination of this story, my recalling of this story, I like to think that it was a more public proclamation. And I wrestle with this too, Bill. The the, the idea of the Trinity, and um, well, you know, there's there's this connection, there's this relationship there that's that that's kind of hard to explain and hard to understand. But um, but but the more I kind of wrestle with it, I, I guess I kind of like the idea that this is a more personal thing that that is being kept between just God and Jesus, and maybe. Uh, I mean, there is the question within how do we know that it was said? You know, that how is it recorded? But I think. That's, I think, part of Mark's device, too, of of highlighting that the disciples didn't really get it, um, didn't have all the information. Uh, and even when they did, they weren't, you know, real, real up on what was happening around them. And so this idea of the messianic secret, which we've talked about before, you know, I think that that is present in Mark. So that's at play here, too. Um, but I just think, you know, the one at the Transfiguration that we heard last week, this is my son feels much more public to me. This is a statement of identity, even though at the end of that, it's uh, you've seen this and heard this, but keep it quiet <laughs> for a little while. It still feels much more public, but this feels more intimate. Um, and then as I think about what's coming in terms of the wilderness uh, and also just the start of Jesus' ministry, it's it's almost um, it's identity and it's claiming, but it's also a word of comfort and reassurance of God's presence. I love you. You are my beloved. I'm going to be with you in no matter what is ahead. And so I think um, uh, I think that kind of captures a little bit of what um, the the intimacy of the familial relationship bill that you were getting at as well, as well as from kind of Sarah's notes of, um, of what is coming uh, in the wilderness. Well, thank you all for those uh, wonderful reflections. We're going to move on to our final question. And that is at the end of this passage, we've gone through the temptation there in the wilderness. We hear that John is arrested. I think it's a kind of interesting little just side note. John's been arrested. And then away we go with some uh, ministry for Jesus. But the question is, what good news do you think Jesus is referring to when he says, repent and believe the good news in our final verse there? What good news are we hoping to hear today. So kind of a two-parter there. Um, and um, Sarah, I'll start with you. So I read Matt Skinner's um, notes in his workingpreacher.org. Um, I think it was from 2015. Um, 
And he, he says, at this time, beginning in Mark 1, verse 14, Jesus begins to proclaim the inbreaking of God's reign or kingdom. And to speak of a reign means to characterize Jesus's ministry as announcing the realization of God's intention for humanity and all creation. I really liked that. This reign is more about people's spiritual existence. Jesus will call people to new understandings about what all of life is like. Family, society, political allegiances, economics, wellness, purity, and acceptability. No facet of life is going to remain unaddressed in the new kingdom. And it's an interesting shift in the way things were to the way things could be in the coming of Jesus with this language. And I I think I'm still hoping to hear that today. Good. Thank you, sir. Bill? Um, What precedes in verse 15, what you're drawing our attention to is the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. I've noted this often on this podcast that For me, it is powerful in Scripture that often we are left to ask the very question you're asking. What is this good news? Jesus doesn't say. (laughs) He doesn't write a dictionary with a number of connotations. Uh, So in a sense, he doesn't define it. So we are left to encounter your logical question, using our own understanding and affirming that there will legitimately be a range of authentic responses to your question, John. I think the good news is the gift of God, but that gift can impact us in so many different ways. Uh, Various scholars note that Mark's account of the temptation of Jesus is by comparison with Matthew and Luke, very sparse. (laughs) Matthew and Luke go into all the details of the the temptations. Mark, uh, what is it? Just uh, two, two verses. But Mark is the only one that notes that Jesus was not only in the presence of Satan, but there were animals and angels. Now, I don't know if an artist has captured that. I didn't do a search, but Sarah's telling me, yes, I, I want to see that art. I, and I've never done a sermon on that, but what a sermon that would be. Wilderness, Satan, animals, angels. Um, so, Therefore, perhaps I'm stretching the narrative a bit, but for me, the good news is that God is today, even now, at work in the midst of evil, wildness, and in a challenging and even dangerous context, is compassionate. The Spirit descended like a dove. That That, to me, is a part of the gospel. We are living that reality today. There is 
human destructiveness beyond my comprehension. A woman walks into a church Sunday afternoon with her five-year-old son and a rifle and ends up being killed and her son badly injured. Um, we, we are living that experience now, but even as humans are acting destructively, God is love. That to me is the good news. Thank you, Bill. Um, I mean, I think the the quick answer for for me is, uh, you know, what is the good news? The good news is the fact that Jesus is God's beloved Son. We just had that affirmed in in the baptism that we that we've read just verses before that. Um, but we also hear that God's reign, um, God's kingdom, are about to be uh, at hand, and that that means something is different now. Um, and and so uh, Jesus is saying, you know. Repent, uh, get ready, um, turn uh, toward towards something new and different, and um, and believe. Um, you know, he his identity has been confirmed, and now he's getting ready to start uh, the work uh, of calling and healing and teaching and modeling for um, for the people and for us um, about how we are to be God's beloved children. You know, how we're called to treat one another and love one another. Uh, how we're to be in relationship with God Almighty. And ultimately, uh, as this is the first Sunday in Lent, um, as we approach Jerusalem and the cross uh, and over the course of Lent, it's good news comes to mean that we're being restored and made right in relationship with God uh, through the, the saving death and resurrection of Jesus. And so um, for whatever reason, the, the hymn came to my mind, you know, hear the good news of salvation. Uh, Jesus died to show God's love. And so um, that that echoed in my mind a bit as I'm thinking of Lent ahead of us as well. Uh, I think the good news that we're hoping to hear today uh, is is the same good news that was there, uh, but it's a reminder. It's a reminder that God's love uh, is is steadfast. God loves us uh, still, uh, no matter what, no matter what evil we see and face in our world. And even after all these years, God's love is steadfast, and we're called to continue to repent, to continue to turn uh, and to believe. And so uh, we're called to turn to the Lord and know that God's reign is still at work um, and, and to be a part of that. Um, the, the tearing open of the heavens um, hasn't been sealed up, right? I think that's, that's the good news for me this, this day, is that God is still on the loose and active in our world and calling us to repent and believe and do the very difficult work of loving one another. Um, so um, I, I think that, that that kind of sums it up for me is that uh, God isn't done yet and there's still hope for our world. And guess what? It involves uh, you and I. So look out. Well, friends, I am uh, grateful for our conversation this morning, for your reflections as well. Any final words? John? Let me yes, make sir. one correction. I said that Mark was the only one that noted the spirit descending like a dove. That's also in John's account in the first chapter. So thank you for allowing me to correct myself. Very good. Thank you, Bill. Well, Sarah and Bill, I thank you all so much for your uh, reflections, your thoughtfulness today. Um, for those of you listening, uh, we hope that these questions and our uh, ponderings, our responses may spur in you a desire 
uh, to continue to explore what God might be saying to you in this story um, and and to reflect on that as the week progresses. If you have any questions or would like to share your thoughts with us, you can reach us at lectionarycallin at pomacia.org. At that website, you can learn lots more about the ministry that takes place at Pomacia Presbyterian Church, the sponsoring church of this very podcast. We thank you so much for joining us and pray that your Lenten journey ahead may be filled with clarity of thought and clarity of mind. Um, and may your day be filled with God's presence and peace. Take care and God bless.